0: Listening to Into the Void, a Black
1: Sabbath podcast, with your hosts,
0: John and Darren. Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And for today's episode, we are going to be talking about the album Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. Sabbath Bloody Sabbath is the band's fifth studio album. It was released in September of 1973 on the Vertigo record label. Following the completion of the volume four tour, the band returned to the record plant studios in California to begin writing and recording. Due to fatigue and escalating drug use, the band was burnt out and unable to find inspiration, Tony Iommi especially struggling to find his creative muse. They decided to move to Clearwell Castle in the Forest of Dean in Gloucestershire, England in the hopes of starting anew. The medieval setting of the castle equally spooked and inspired the band with nightly pranks and ghost sightings, adding to their overall inspiration. Iommi's bad case of writer's block was lifted and the heavy riffs would soon flow. What resulted was one of Black Sabbath's most adventurous albums filled with twists and turns and their signature dark moody heaviness. Produced by the band, they would find themselves exploring in the studio with sounds and techniques even more adventurous than on the previous Volume 4 album. Incorporating orchestral strings and synthesizers courtesy of Ozzy and guest session player Rick Wakeman of Yes Fame, the album would be a multi-layered affair of dynamics and moods. Summarizing it all would be one of Black Sabbath's most famous album covers. Dra- drawn with watercolored pencils by Drew Struzan, it depicts a nightmarish scenario of demons haunting a helpless victim in his sleep. The album would consist of eight songs, all written by Iomi, Ward, Butler, and Osborne. Side one, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, A National Acrobat, The Instrumental Fluff, and Sabra Cadabra. Side two, Killing Yourself to Live, Who Are You?, Looking for Today?, and Spiral Architect. The Sabbath Bloody Sabbath Tour would begin on December 1st, 1973 and end on November 16th, 1974. Songs from the album typically played live on this tour were Killing Yourself to Live, A National Acrobat, Sabra Cadabra," and Spiral Architect, making the occasional appearance. So, Darren, what are your memories of hearing Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, for the first time?
1: Well, I remember at the time, uh, I think I got it on a weekend, maybe a Saturday afternoon. And uh, I was watching, that's so when I started getting into some of the gothic horror stuff, like uh, horror amicus some of the uh the british made horror films from the 60s and 70s and coincidentally i had just gotten sabbath bloody sabbath either that afternoon or possibly even friday night before and i was watching uh i remember the house that dripped blood which was a it was like a compilation of horror stories but it was put out by hammer so um the the album was sort of like the soundtrack to that in a way and uh there was so much depth to Sabbath Bloody Sabbath and atmosphere that it kind of like in my mind and I guess under the influence of watching these horror movies kind of put together that sort of a vibe in my mind and and I could say that it's Sabbath Bloody Sabbath is probably the most gothic record that that the band put out and, and there's a lot of imagery that that always coincides with Black Sabbath that's you know of a gothic nature but I, I don't think it's really relevant to anything prior to this album I think it really when, when I see those Teutonic logos um, and you know the, the, the Devil Angel, what's his name, Henry, I think he's been nicknamed. It, it all sort of comes together in that Sabbath, bloody Sabbath context. So I think my impression of it was that I was just kind of swept away with, with the progression that there obviously was between this album and what I had been familiar with prior to that, you know, we're talking about Master of Reality, Paranoid and Black Sabbath, which were all albums <clears throat> that I loved, but much more much more direct, you know, more more bare bones, um, heavy albums, but not a lot of finesse. And, uh, and Sabbath Bloody Sabbath kind of swept me away with a lot of the, the different things that were, were taking place from song to song. Of course, there were the heavy riffs, you know, the title track, heavy. And then when it gets into that middle part, when it's just like, it just gets so low and so heavy, probably rivals anything they had done prior to that. But uh, as a sort of a contrast, when you get into songs like Spiral Architect and Living for Today or Looking for Today, um, there's a much more lighter side to the music that is really interesting to note. And I think that was definitely a first for Black Sabbath. So. Overall, I mean, my impression was—I you know, was pretty amazed by it. It was—it definitely surpassed my expectations going into it blindly, more or less. I hadn't really heard anything from the album prior to buying it. And the album cover, of course, was really, really cool. Um, so, I, I mean, I expected, I guess, something basically along the lines of you know, "Master of Reality" or "Paranoid," but was pretty much blown away by uh, by what I was listening to the first time I heard it. How about you.
0: Yeah, well, this uh, this is a special special Sabbath album for me. It's it is it is my favorite Black Sabbath album. Uh, Darren and I we we did a album ranking. I'm going to throw in a plug for my YouTube channel here on my Layer of the Alchemist YouTube channel, and this was my my number one Black Sabbath album. And it came at a really sort of special time for me. I had uh, I already had Paranoid, Volume 4, the first album. I had Blizzard of Oz. I had uh, Diary of a Madman. I had Heaven and Hell. I had Mob Rules. And so when I got this album, I was just full-blown into Black Sabbath. And with every album, it seemed like my mind was getting getting blown. And Volume 4 would have been the album that I had gotten before this. And this album, for me, it... it uh, it, it, it always reminds me of that time for me really getting into those first two Ozzy albums. It was the first Sabbath, Sabbath album that I connected with Ozzy's Blizzard and Diary album because of some of the classic little classical sort of overtones here and there, like the beginning of Spiral Architect, you know, reminded me a little bit of like the acoustic intro to Diary of a Madman. Uh, there's some uh, the synthesizer use on Sabbath Bloody Sabbath reminded me a little bit of the synthesizer stuff on, on Ozzy's Blizzard album. Uh, so it was it's just an album that I just I just loved right away everything about it. The album cover I think is amazing and totally sets the mood of it. Uh, you you described sort of the Hammer Horror vibe of it. And I, I think this album for Sabbath, that has the most, for me personally, the most uh, mystique to it, the most aura, you know, scary vibe to it. Uh, maybe it's the album cover and some of the song titles. And uh, I also really liked the, I like the production on this record. It's maybe one of my favorite from a production wise, from the Ozzy era. I'm a big fan of kind of headphone albums and there's a lot of guitars going on on this record. There's the keyboards, there's the strings in a Spiral Architect, there's the piano stuff in a, Who Are You. There's just a lot of different, different stuff going on. Even Ozzy's vocals, there's some vocal harmonies here and there from Ozzy, which he, he was starting to do much more at this point. Uh, and the songs themselves are just great. You, you had this great contrast on this album of the really heavy, dark stuff. Like you mentioned, the, I think I heard you mention that middle section in Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, the where can we run to, you know, that part, that super heavy riff there. Yet there were these great melodic, uplifting parts, like in Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, nobody will ever let, you know, like in that song. Uh, yeah, Spiral Architect, the verse in that song is has a real sort of uplifting uh, melody to it. Uh, Looking for Today is kind of uplifting, but then there were also some really heavy uh, stuff like A National Acrobat, Sabra Kadabra was heavy. It was just a great mixture of everything that I loved about Black Sabbath. And at that time, being so into Ozzy, Blizzard and Diary and just Black Sabbath, this this album just hit that perfect perfect spot for me. And I also have a very fond memory of this record because it was right around the time that I got a uh, Walkman. And so I was getting my stuff on cassette. So that sort of freed me up that I could go and listen to this stuff outside. And and where I grew up, I grew up in a very rural area and uh, in my backyard was basically the woods. And so I would just put my headphones on. I distinctly remember, you know, getting this record, getting that Walkman, putting the headphones on and just going for walks in the woods, listening to this album and just really like getting... Uh, drawn into it so it's, it's just an album that I just love I think it's great playing from everybody on this Ozzy's voice is, is maybe at his at his best right here and so just just an album that I love and then I just have really great fond memories of hearing and discovering it and digging into it and getting into it for the first time
1: yeah, it's an album that I can always listen to. I never get bored with Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, and I guess one of the reasons is because there's so many different textures and there's so much variety on the album. It, and you're right, it is, it is, it does have its similarities between. Um, it does have similarities to Blizzard and Diary in the sense where, you know, in Diary there's there's the orchestra on the title track, and and on Blizzard we have the acoustic instrumental, which kind of corresponds with the acoustic instrumental on this. And um, yeah, I mean, for the first time, you can really see, you know, the comparison between, you know, Ozzy's time in Black 7, Black Sabbath with the band, and and what Ozzy would later go on to do in, in Blizzard and Diary in this beginning of his solo career. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's an album that I, I, I think is definitely classic and timeless. Um, I wouldn't say it's my favorite. There's a couple of reasons for that. <clears throat> um, I'm not a big fan of... I, I think the production is, is, is good. I mean, I think it's sufficient. I think that everything is recorded well. And I think it's mixed well. But there's something about the master. is just so low. And, 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 I, and I have various pressings. Uh, you know, I have the first WWA pressing, and I have the U.S. Warner Brothers pressing. And I, and I don't think there's really any difference. I mean, this is probably the first time that there wasn't that much of a contrast between the uk and the u.s versions of the albums because they're they're both mastered the the album is mastered at sterling sound in california so um but it's just very quiet and it, it it's an album that you really have to kind of crank up and uh i'm not sure why that is because you know there, there's like some some of the levels are off too. I mean, on some songs are louder than others. When Sabbath Cadaver comes in, it's really low. It's like for some strange reason, you get to that point and the volume kind of drops off. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, I
0: I like it a lot. And it's, it's one that I, 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 I revisit pretty often. So, uh, yeah, I know what yeah, you mean about the production. It's It does have kind of a bit of a, maybe it's because of all the layered guitars and the drum mix on this album, although I, I think it's good, it's maybe not as bombastic, if yeah. you will, as like Paranoid, for instance. And there's a lot of songs that just sort of sit back and... Uh, in, in a little bit of a more laid back pocket, if you will, like a national acrobat, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's a song that it almost has a groove, uh, you know, kind of a groovy feel to it. And, uh, and I know what you mean about the levels. This was something when we did the volume four episode, I think that album has a little bit of this too, where some of the, le- just the overall volume levels between some of the songs. Are, right. Yeah. Are like not, Completely, uh, completely levels. So, yeah, I, I can see what you mean about that. For me, this feels like Sabbath's sort of most mature and sophisticated record, if you will. You know, it's it's like the, the them experimenting in the studio. The, the The drugs hadn't started negatively affecting them yet, uh, so. Although, like I mentioned in the opening notes, they struggled to to sort of get the creative juices flowing early on with this. They were suffering from a little bit of fatigue from the volume four tour. The volume four tour gets cut short early because IoMi collapses coming off stage one day. Yeah, they come in, they come into the studio, then it's in California, they wanted, they went to the same studio that they recorded volume four, because they were happy with that. But they found Mm -hmm. that the studio had been moved and changed around and Stevie Wonder supposedly had just been in there and rearranged everything and they just weren't feeling it they go to the castle in England and all of a sudden Iommi you know busts out the uh, Sabbath bloody Sabbath riff and uh then the you know all of a sudden the dam breaks and the and the riffs just just start flowing uh yeah. Honestly, yeah
1: yeah and I, and I guess it was a change of atmosphere maybe that you know got the uh the creative juices flowing again but yeah I remember the i remember reading that they were practicing in the dungeon and that that mansion that clearwell um castle was also where led zeppelin were recorded i think deep purple mott the there was it had a pretty um a pretty good reputation at the time so maybe that you know maybe the atmosphere and also just a little bit of a, of a break, you know, I think there was between the time they went back to the record plant, and, and you're right, you know, they had Stevie, they had moved the room and then Stevie Wonder's synthesizer rig was hooked up in the middle of the room and they, they couldn't, they couldn't go back to where they were in a record plant. And I guess they, they looked back on those volume four sessions pretty fondly, even though, you know, there was some weird things and, you know, there were a lot of drugs going on. But I, I think when it was all said and done, they thought it was a, a successful album and they wanted to go back and try to recreate that. So it was a bit of a stymie to, to try to do that. And then, you know, have the rug pulled out from under you and sort of like, okay, well, what do we do now? And so there was a break that ensued after that. And then when it did, you know, go into Clearwell castle down in a dungeon, maybe that was just the right atmosphere. But, but like you said, when, uh, Iomi uh, Laid into the that riff and Sabbath lay Sabbath everybody just sort of like went full tilt and and that kind of got the ball rolling. So um, yeah, I it, you you can kind of hear that, that that there's a lot of um, different different things going on and, and I think it was a result of of the maturity of the musicians themselves. I mean, Ozzy contributed. Who are you? You know, he bought a mini Moog and. He figured out you know that you can play that on one finger. And uh, you know that was his song. Geezer, geezer brought, I mean Geezer wrote a national acrobat. Uh, the lyrics started to get a little bit more, um, I, I guess less aggressive, maybe, less negative, maybe more in a positive. Thing. And, and I think that just comes from their maturity, uh, you know, some of the experiences they've had. And also there is some negative stuff, like the title track and Killing Yourself to Live was a reaction to not only what was going on in the band internally through the business side of things, but also what was going on around them. Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath was, a, was sort of a, um, a reference to the Bloody Sunday event that happened over Northern Ireland, 1972. Um, Ozzy said that he kind of internalized that and brought it into their situation, you know, like they felt they were being, well, of course, the, the Bloody Sunday thing was when uh, the Irish army fired on unarmed protesters and, you know, it's a big historical event, tragedy. Um, but I mean, Ozzy was talking about that and said, you know, what what's, what's the world coming to, you know, what, what's going on? And even in their own experience, some of the ways that you know life was affect, affecting them, this sort of became their bloody Sunday, you know, their struggles with Patrick Meehan, who they hadn't quite had parted ways with yet, but it was it was definitely building up. So so there is a bit of that negative influence there. But you know, also you have a song like Sabra Cadaver where you know, they were kind of, there was, the, 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 the woman wasn't evil in this one. The woman was, you know, amused. It was like a good experience and it's a kind of a love song. It's, it's happy. It's like a, kind of a, a more bouncy song. Definitely more of a positive type of song than I think Sabbath had really gotten into prior to that. And then he had like some introspective stuff, like a spiral architect or, looking for today so I mean there's there's a wider range of things going on in this album I think that whereas maybe in previous albums it was kind of limited to a certain type of mentality or um, mood or, or vibe I think this had more things that you could you could pull from if you were in a, in a good mood you know you had the songs that were kind of like sabra-cadabra you know kind of reinforce that mood and and if you're in a bad mood and you wanted to get some aggression out well you can listen to killing yourself killing yourself to live or "Sabbath bloody sabbath you know so i think it's pretty cool in that regard that you know there's 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 more more to pull from
0: yeah i think the lyrics on this album are, are great and has some of my favorite geezer lyrics and and you're right i do think that there's there isn't as much sort of Dark stuff, like for instance, Hand of Doom. You know, talking about heroin addiction. There isn't as much stuff on this. You get a little bit more heady, kind of cerebral symbols in the lyrics, imagery, and stuff like a national acrobat and spiral architect. And and I love the story of Spiral Architects. One of my favorite Geezer uh, lyrics. Red where Ozzy said that uh, he tried have he had a crack at it at first. And mm-hmm. wasn't getting anywhere so it calls up geezer and geezer says all right you know let me i'll call you back and like an hour later geezer calls back with with these lyrics <laughs> you know and they're just they're, 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 they're just great man i love when when geezer sort of does that sort of uh, symbolism and word play and and stuff like that i think it's just great you know and the album also also for me i, I I've, I've mentioned this when well, we've covered covered the other albums Songs like Who Are You as a young metalhead with having not heard a whole ton of music at that point in my life, stuff like that really sort of freaked me out. Like I just didn't know where I, I would hear something like that and was just like, where where is this coming from? How did they come mm-hmm. up with this? That synthesizer line, it's a strange synthesizer sound, at least to my young ears. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's creepy sounding line. Ozzy's vocal in it. It's very, you know, talk about like a horror movie, 70s, uh, you know, uh, fantasy style uh, uh, horror movie type sound. You know, it's got that, that riff and Ozzy's vocal line is really kind of a little unsettling in it. And, I, and it's funny, I, uh, when I was younger, before I h- had any lyric sheets or anything for, for the album, uh, I always thought they were saying, "'Jesus, will you tell me in the name of hell, who are you?' Not, "'Please now, will you tell me?' Mm-hmm. And then, so that just added to the sort of <laughs> creepiness of the song for me. But it was like that, you know, like, who are you? That this Sabbath, bloody Sabbath, such a heavy song then like fluff is just really light airy sort of orchestrated guitar thing. And again, Mm -hmm. just all these different like uh, moods in it, like in who are you when it, when it, moves into that middle section where it's like piano and sort of a layered synth. And it's like a sort of an orchestral thing. Again, being really into diary of a madman and blizzard at that time, that made me think of like Mr. Crowley or, or the song diary of a madman. There's even like a little bit of a military snare drum Mm -hmm. kind of role thing in the middle of who are you that reminded me of the song diary of a madman. So it was, so it was all these things that, uh, you know, just really added to the, uh, to the atmosphere of this, this record for me. And I just love Ozzy's voice on this album. I think it's some of his best like uh, vocal performances from this time, but there are a lot of really uplifting things on it too. You know, I, I, I think that uh, the lyrically, you know, like we said, and in a song like fluff for instance. So, you know, maybe they left it left out some of the real, sledgehammer style of like maybe the first two or three albums and it's it's a little more textured and um, layered here for this particular album
1: I think one thing that's pretty amazing is how they uh they went from volume four and, and i think volume four kind of and you had mentioned it at least the last podcast in reference to volume four maybe it was even when we were talking about Master of Reality, but, but you had mentioned that you group them into sections. And I think you had said that you, you go from the first album to is it Master of Reality or was yeah. it the volume
0: four? It's always Master the first three family. for me, the next three and then the yeah. next two.
1: Yeah, and there's sort of a gap between Master of Reality and volume four, which we, we talked about when we did the volume four podcast. But there's also a gap between volume four and this one. And there's a lot more use of different instruments and I, I, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty incredible how it, it came together so, so well. I mean, there's nothing that sounds awkward or out of place, especially on looking for today when you have like you have the recorder in there or flute, um, there's percussion, there's piano, you know, there's an orchestra. Rick Wakeman lends his services to uh, Sabra Kadabra, but it all it, it all seems appropriate for a band that went from not really having any of those elements say on the last album to introducing all of that in this album and not getting carried away you know with lack of experience as to how to apply that i mean i think it it all sounds great it's it's like they had been doing it all along but maybe didn't want to do it on the previous albums i don't know but yeah, I mean, all those different things, all those different textures. And I, and I guess that's where you could accurately say that the production is good because all that stuff is audible. And if it isn't something that you can pick out individually, it's at least mixed in a way where it benefits the song. So that's where the production succeeds. My problem with the production was more from the mastering aspect of the l- lowness of the volume and sometimes there's certain songs the inconsistency of the songs and sometimes some of the songs are rendered a little bit muddy but as far as incorporating all those different instruments and all those different things that they had never done before um, in a way that enhances the song you know it's it's a total success Um, so I'm pretty impressed by that and then I was just listening to it before we did this podcast and, and I just wanted to get it fresh in my mind again and especially looking for today man it just such a great song and one of the things that really makes that so great is is a different is the use of different instruments but when that when that flute comes in or maybe it's a recorder uh during the chorus and, and ozzy's voice it just it just couples so well with with you know the the, the instruments on that song um it's, it's pretty amazing it's pretty amazing how they went from volume four to this album and i think now you'd said it's your favorite album. And I, I can't honestly say that because it's not really the one that I revisit the most, but I think looking at it objectively, yeah, I can see how it, how it would be your or anyone's favorite album, because it's it's definitely an album that is probably the most accomplished of, of all the ones that they've done prior and, and after. I, this is definitely the high watermark because even though I really like Technical Ecstasy, after Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, it's pretty much going downhill. And, you know, I won't say that I don't like any Black Sabbath album, but I think after this, it it's hard to say anything that came after this is as good or better than Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll get into this, I'm sure, with Sabotage. I think that they were trying to, to still go in the same direction with experimenting in the studio on sabotage, but maybe the songs weren't quite as uh, weren't quite as focused, although I, I love sabotage, but we'll get into that when we cover sabotage. Right, yeah. but uh, yeah, and even for me, again, I think it was just a lining up of, of all the stars with this particular album. For me, the time when it hit me and uh, the album cover artwork, in my opinion, it's it's maybe one of the most uh, how what would be the word I would use artistic, if you yeah. will, you know something you you could see in an art gallery right up there with uh, Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules. Those are like pieces of pieces of art to yeah. me, and uh, you know it just adds to the whole to the whole atmosphere.
1: You know what I'm saying, though, these, 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 these the use of different instruments was introduced on this album. And it, it just it's pretty amazing how it, nothing seems out of place or nothing seems overworked. Like, uh, you know, they should probably, you know, kick the shakers back a notch or maybe there's too <laughs> much tambourine or or cowbell, you know, like <laughs> oyster cold Once you hear uh, Don't Fear the Reaper, and you hear that loud cowbell, you can't unhear it. And it seems a little bit like, OK, we probably could have done without that. But there's nothing like that on this album, and there's a lot of new elements being introduced. But everything seems tasteful and appropriate, which I, I think is, you know, pretty amazing considering the fact that this is a new, this is a new venture, this is a new thing for them, and it just came off executed excellently. I mean, there's just really nothing I think that sounds superfluous or, or out of place. You know, yeah, and
0: this is really something that. Uh... A lot of people don't maybe don't give Black Sabbath enough credit for that, especially during the '70s. I'd say really during the '70s, and this was a thing that it felt like every band was doing this in the '70s, which was you you wanted to evolve, you wanted to change with each album, and for those people who only think Black Sabbath is Iron Man and 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 War Pigs. You know, they're missing a lot of the picture and regardless of what someone's opinion might be of technical ecstasy or never say die. Every Sabbath album through the 70s was an evolution and they were moving, you know, sometimes they were moving up like the way they're with Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, more stuff in the studio, more instruments, same thing on Sabotage, maybe Sabotage might be their most experimental album And I love technical ecstasy. I know you love technical ecstasy. Maybe they, they were a little confused at that point. So maybe that was sort of a, uh, you know, they were moving in another direction, but every Sabbath album has its own thing and it has its own sort of, uh, sort of character to it. And it's something that I, I think Sabbath doesn't get enough credit for. They get sometimes lumped into being just, just sort of dinosaur, Heavy, sludgy, doomy band, but they were they were just so much more than that. And their their seventies uh, albums are really a, a testament to that. And that's something that back in the seventies, you know, this is this is this could be a topic all on its own. But back in the seventies, that's just how bands operated. If you, you name pretty much any band, Deep Purple or Uriah Heap, uh mm-hmm. yes, you know, all these bands, every album it, that was. That was your thing was to try to do something different, to try to move into a different territory, try different things. And uh, Sabbath was was right there with with everybody else, experimenting and trying out new sounds and trying to top what they did on their last record. I never never really felt like any of the Sabbath albums were. Okay, this album was really successful, so we got to do part two. You know, we got to do Paranoid Part Two. You know, they always seem to try to be moving forward, and I think Sabbath Bloody Sabbath is a really great example of that, and it, and it really working for them. You know, them experimenting with different sounds and different song arrangements and yeah. just different things, and it and it working.
1: I guess so. I mean, I, I don't know that it, it doesn't seem to me since we've been. Now, since we've been doing these podcasts and I've been looking a lot further into you know, the background of some of these albums, it, it never really seems to me like they approach an album in the beginning with any sort of agenda or game plan. It's about Iomi bringing the riffs, Ozzy coming in with the melodies, most of the time in a rehearsal type situation, uh, and then Geezer will come back and refine the lyrics and what happens happens as a result of that as a re- result of the spontaneity of the four of these guys playing together so i, I never really got the impression that they, they went in and said okay well volume four we did this let's let's close the book on this sort of thing let's let's do something different in fact it seemed on this in this situation that they really had no direction i mean they. From from the writer's block that iomi was having, and and you know, I mean, I, they're basically pretty burned out at the end of the of the tour for um, for Volume Four, had to go back and kind of like regroup and collect themselves and come back in, and um, and then it started basically with Iomi being you know them rehearsing down in a dungeon and him coming in with a riff to the Sabbath Lady Sabbath, and then everything got, kind of fell into place. So I think it was like more of an organic thing, but isn't it amazing that you could, you, you could almost think that, well, they probably had a game plan. This is probably what they wanted to do because this album sounds so different from, from volume four. Or you, you might think, well, they had a game plan in mind for, for volume four because it sounds different from, from Master of Reality and, and so on and so forth. But I, I think they just basically went with the inspiration that they had at the time worked on the songs and it just came together pretty naturally which i think is a pretty pretty cool way to do it you know it's definitely not a contrived sort of thing it isn't like they took a look around or you know said well what 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 did grand funk just do or what's your eye heap up to you know what what, what's the latest deep purple album sound like oh we should do some of that or you know or what's jethro toll doing and i mentioned all those bands because all those bands were like you said they were all evolving their sound you know they were their albums were sounding different from the one before and moving into different territories and taking on a keyboardist. I think at this point, Grand Funk had introduced a keyboardist into their, their full-time lineup. They went from a three-piece to a four-piece. So, I mean, but I, it doesn't seem to me as though Black Sabbaths were really cognizant of what other bands were doing. Maybe they were, but it certainly didn't seem to seep into influencing them in their musical direction. It just sort of came about naturally. And you're right, I don't think they get enough credit for being a great rock band. They get a lot of credit for being a heavy heavy metal band. They get a lot of credit for, for being the, the band that started the doom metal movement, stoner rock movement. But they don't get enough credit for just being a great rock and roll band and writing great songs, which uh, it's unfortunate.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, to to your point about them and evolving and it being an organic process, I I totally agree with you. And I think that that's what sort of makes it even more uh, respectable and and amazing that, that they just sort of did this subconsciously, that that just the artist inside them. uh, They didn't have to plan it out, they just got together. There was undeniably a dynamic and chemistry amongst all four of the members. And you uh, often hear them, you'll hear Bill Ward talk about this a lot, about the fifth member of Black Sabbath, which was sort of this Unknown entity, if you will, that they use this to describe how they would just get together in a room and just things would just happen unconsciously, Mm -hmm. it wasn't forced, I would say that once the drugs and the the managers and, and the fatigue of touring started to take their toll on them that maybe chipped away at this natural their natural abilities to get together and just have things flow and i think it started to get a bit more for them they had to force it a little bit more and i think uh you know by the time you get to like never say die for instance they're they're really at a bit for a loss because be- before this and like with this album they it doesn't sound like they really plan anything out they just get together and it's just the the inspiration of IOMI kicks off a riff and just everybody contributing what they contribute to the band. And uh, it's it's not a forced thing and it's just a, a natural thing. And I think it's something that, uh, I think they realize that too, that throughout their all their careers, all the way up to the 13 album, I think they all realize that there is a undeniable special chemistry that exists between, these four guys, maybe call it because they all came from the same town together, and it's something that's embedded inside their psyche. That you know, you just you, someone who hasn't been through, lived through wh- what they lived through, or came from where they came, maybe wouldn't be able to, to understand it or have this sort of uh, telepathic psychic connection that seems to exist. Uh, between them but it but it certainly works and it's and it's working you know it's it's really it's still clicking for them and they're just on a roll i think at this point they've achieved enough fame and success that they have the the luxury of spending more time in the studio the the success of knowing that that what they're doing is is working and uh and they're just growing with every with every album so Mm -hmm.
1: yeah All right.
0: Well, let's take a look at some of the songs on the album. So we've already touched on some touched on all of them to various degrees, but we talked about Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. I mean, this has got to be if you're making a list of some of IOMI's best riffs, this has got to show up on your list somewhere, if not high up on your list here. I mean, this is just a killer riff. The middle section of this song, that riff in the middle is killer. I love Ozzy's vocal, the where can you run to? That part is just great. Uh, the whole like uh, middle section or the the, the the chorusy part with the acoustic guitars and everything it just changes the mood and I love the ending where everything just gets all noisy and sort of crazy and fades out. It's just an awesome, awesome, heavy, great riff, great melody line, great album opener.
1: Yeah. I was just going to say that it's a great album opener. It's a great song. And and when it gets down in that heavy, heavy riff, man, you could just, it's like bowel churning (laughs) for lack of a better description. Um, but yeah, I mean, you like feel it in your gut and that is such a low, heavy guitar tone. And it starts out heavy and then when it gets into that, it's like, oh my God, it's like, could this get any heavier? It it just did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> never, <laughs> never doubt Tony Iommi sure. for can wow. it get heavier? It can always get heavier with Tony you No, know, It
1: starts out with that heavy riff and it's like, yeah, that's heavy, but can it get any heavier? And then sure enough, it does. So... Um, yeah, it's a great song. Uh, Ozzy's voice just comes right out of the gate. Clear as a bell. Um, nice tonality. Um, seems like he's got a lot of control. And um, his phrasing is great. You know, I'm not sure if the melodies are his or the geezers, but I think most of the melodies are usually Ozzy's. Um, but, yeah, it, it seems like he's probably at the top of his game here. Now, I, I've heard that that where can you run to line there was a little bit of a pitch shift in that that wasn't yeah. naturally.
0: Yeah, I've heard that too. They slowed it. the tape down so yeah. he could sing that and then speed it up. And if you think about it, did he has he ever sang that line live like that? No. He, even back on this tour, if you hear recordings, that he changes the melding line at that, that spot? I don't think he ever hit that, those notes live.
1: I don't think I've ever heard Sabbath do this live to be honest with you, I mean, I have to look at some of my, my bootlegs, but I don't, I, I don't think I ever had, I don't think I've ever heard them sing it live. Um, I know that in the later days on a reunion album, from 96, they, they started with the, the riff and when they shifted into something else, I don't remember what it was, but I don't, I don't, think this is one that, uh, they ever really did live. And if, if they did I definitely dropped it,
0: you know, Yeah, you're right. I don't think they did did it on this tour. They did do it on the reunion, on that reunion album. And I thought that they do play that section. And I thought he changes the melody line and just sort of doesn't doesn't jump up really high and is where can you run to? He like sort of changes it or something or I can't remember now or maybe he just doesn't even sing over it at all. You're right. They might have just sort of ended the song at that section, played that riff and then ended it because I know they did do that later on where they would just play it as an instrumental or not even do that riff?
1: I think it was represented on the album, but I don't think he sang on it, but I'll have to check. It's been a while since I li- listened to that. It's not It's not a really exciting, right? I mean, it was really exciting at the time because it was, you know, the reunion album. All four members are back together again. But once the uh, once the excitement of that was over, it wasn't one that I really listened to a whole lot, you know, but anyway, yeah, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath starts off. And in the album cover, I mean, um uh, reading and doing some research about this this album this is the one album cover i think the band was pretty satisfied with it, it volume four wasn't their original concept it was changed they were okay with that uh master of reality they had really no control over um i don't think there was any real control over the first two this was one that they they, they liked the album cover um, of course, as you mentioned, it was, it was painted by Drew Struzan, I think, who later did a lot of movie posters, uh, Star Wars, the Star Wars movie art poster being one of them. So he, was, he went on to become pretty famous. But I think one of the things that they liked about this was on the, on the front of the album, you know, it shows somebody, well, the, the, the title of the painting is called The Rape of Christ, And it shows this person being tormented, and I think Bill Ward describes it as tormented. He's in his deathbed, being tormented by the sins of his past. And then you flip it over, and everything's to be more peace, where he's lying in bed, most likely on his deathbed, and people are, are, you know, leaning over him, mourning him, and it seems like it's a more positive. The color palette is different. On the front, it's kind of red and orange and pink kind of like a more of aggressive color palette in the back it's more of a soothing blue pale blue white um, and it, it that it also kind of corresponds with the album itself you know we have like we talked about the contrast between you know the heavy the more evil sounding stuff for lack of a better word and then the more calming soothing you know uh, pleasant sounding stuff that album cover i think really uh suits the music really well probably for the first time in any black sabbath album
0: i think yeah uh, i would agree with that for sure all right a national acrobat this is kind of one it's got to mention it earlier it's got like kind of a laid back groove to it i always like the the middle section when the guitar has the wah-wah effect on it and it's doing a bottom but I want you to listen, and there's some of those effects on Ozzy's voice, so this is a cool one, it's got a nice little uh, tempo change thing in it, so, cool one.
1: Yeah, you know what's interesting about this is that that second part, um, I think they'd been jamming in some of the live jams prior to that. Yeah,
0: yeah, you're
1: right. I, I know they've done that a couple times, I think on this tour actually, they started jamming the second part would, would later become the second part of uh symptom of the universe. But I think prior to this album on, on some of the, uh, the jams, like I think maybe during, during wicked world, or maybe that sometimes I'm happy. song, I could be confusing that with the later part of Symptom of the universe, but that, that jam part at the end of national acrobat, I think they were kind of trying out in a lot of situation, but national acrobat is probably my if, if it's if it's not my favorite song, it's definitely my second favorite song. I I love looking for it today, but we'll get into that a little later. But National Acrobat is just such a great song. It it has a has a cool movement. It's sort of laid back, but it also has kind of a sense of urgency in the way that it moves along. Ozzy's um, vocals are great on it. I, I love the melody. Um, it, it's a different Sabbath song in a sense that. You know, we have the layered guitars, you know, it's, it's probably when, you know, some of the, the more, uh, um, ambitious musicianship starts to take place on the album is during this song. Um, this is Geezer's song from what I understand. He wrote this song and, uh, I'm sure they all contributed, but primarily geezer was the songwriter and brought, brought the music and, and of course the lyrics. And I don't know if you know, but the user said that the lyrics were about the, the plight of the sperm, the yeah. sperm that didn't make it to the egg to be fertilized. What about them? <laughs> you say drugs aren't involved in this album as much. I mean, that definitely sounds like somebody who's high and is thinking way overthinking something. Hey, what about the sperm that didn't make it to the
0: egg? What yeah, man. about that? <laughs> Yeah, that's why that, I love the lyrics. That, that's just, what he said. The song was—they're just so uh, you know, filled with so introspective symbolism and right, exactly. You know, uh, yeah, good stuff. All right, then uh, fluff the instrumental. I mean, this is something that Iomi had been doing on on the last few albums. He had an instrumental uh, on uh, Master of Reality and on Volume Four. Laguna sunrise Orchid and embryo and uh, but this is probably his most orchestrated instrumental uh that he does you know it's got all these sort of nice layered guitars and there's a bunch of other stuff sort of going on in the uh in the background, some subtle little i guess synthesizer things and yeah, it's cool sounds and everything so it's a nice little uh change and I you know kind of like a, reminds me of Laguna sunrise that sort mm-hmm. of uplifting acoustic guitar thing yeah i always
1: thought that the fluff was basically that it was just fluff to fill the album (laughs) that's where the title derived from it was actually dedicated to a A a dj yeah yeah, Alan freeman whose nickname was fluff yeah it's pretty cool Uh, i i would i would prefer that it was a song that was a little bit more involved like another national acrobat or, or, you know, killing yourself to live or something along those lines. But, you know, I think in the context of the album, it, it works, it works where it is. And certainly, I mean, I, as many times as I've heard it, I, I don't think I'd want to hear it any other way. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. It's, it's an interesting little instrumental and you're right. It does kind of serve the same purposes like a Laguna, Laguna sunrise or, or orchid but uh, really nothing more than that.
0: It is interesting that it appears so early in the record. It's the kind of thing you would expect to be maybe song two on side two, you know, kind of yeah. the way Laguna Sunrise is a little bit deeper into the to the record. But uh, it, it's interesting how it's number three. And it's a song that uh, later on would be what they would play over their PA system mm-hmm. <laughs> when the shows were over. So it's a song that yeah. sort of did have a sort of a special place in the uh sabbath uh live live show all right uh sabra cadabra this is another kind of uh, kind of bluesy groovy uh, another bluesy groovy one with kind of a i love sort of the, the way the riff is in this and the bass is like playing this descending line <laughs> moving around line behind this behind this main riff and uh it's another cool one
1: yeah, it definitely sounds like a song that came about it, it it's probably one of the more organic sounding songs to me it sounds like a song that probably came out of a jam you know like yeah like
0: for a, sure definitely
1: rocking you know in a rehearsal situation and Ozzy coming in with a melody it seems like an easy melody it reminds me a lot of one of the jams that that they would do in between songs or when they would extend the song one of those things that they would kind of just naturally just morph into that's kind of what Sabra Cadaver reminds me of. This is probably a real easy song for them to to put out there. This is the one that has Rick Wakeman on it. Although Rick Wakeman is duly credited on this, but there's been hints that he was on other parts of the album. And I believe that. I mean, I can definitely hear some things that seem to be, like for instance, well, you know, I mean, there, there's other orchestrated parts on this album that seem like they would not necessarily be as a result of their experimentation. It seems like someone else was was involved with that. But anyway, Rick Wakeman officially gets the credit for adding Moog synthesizer in this. And interesting how Rick Wakeman became involved. Um, yes, actually open for Black Sabbath on tour in 71 and 72. And then when they moved the recording to, we were talking about they they started recording at Clearwell, but then they finished the album in Morgan Studios. And Morgan Studios was where Yes was recording Tales from Topographic Oceans. And of course, Rick Wakeman liked the guys in Sabbath even when they were on tour. I don't think there was a lot of a lot of camaraderie between the two bands. But Rick Wakeman was a big drinker. He was a party guy, in spite of the fact that you know he was a very refined classical musician um, you know he he uh, he had that one thing in common with Black Sabbath he'd like to drink and he'd like to party so when he was on the road he would often fly with with Black Sabbath instead of his band and then when the band moved to Morgan Studios and yes was recording tales from topographic oceans rather than hang in there with his dudes he'd go over and hang with Black Sabbath and drink in fact his payment for his uh, contribution <laughs> was a beer. case of beer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: beer.
1: Just give me some beer. Uh, but you know, here's an, here's another thing. They actually Tony Iommi and Rick Wakeman confirms this. They asked him to join as a full time member. Um, would have been interesting. It would have been interesting. And but Ozzy was one who was reluctant, not for anything to do with Rick Wakeman personally, but he wasn't sure how the metal. Hard rock community would react to the band having a full time keyboardist. So i never really achieved liftoff. And I and I think that was that was fine with Rick wake I don't I don't I don't think he, I, I from the impression I get and I, and I did read his book, Grumpy Old Man. um The impression I, I got was that he was open to to doing a lot of different things, but he sort of liked to maintain more or less freelance. He didn't really want to be. Uh, even with his time in Yes, you know, he was in for a couple albums and then boom, he was out again and back in and then out and off and doing some solo stuff. So I, I think that he preferred to be freelance. I don't think it was ever destined that he would be a member of of Black Sabbath. Um, but anyway, pretty cool that he contributed on Saber Cadaver. Definitely gives it some atmosphere and, you know, a little bit more credibility, I guess, having somebody like Rick Wakeman guest on your album
0: yeah and i love that whole section when he comes in with those sort of layered synthesizer things i love the mood change right there and ozzy's melody it's it's just great so all right uh two opens up with killing yourself to live this is a this is a great one
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh yeah cool riff uh i love the way the uh the progression sort of gets kind of like the verse is is kind of uplifting a little bit, but then you're only killing yourself to live. And then that riff, da, 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 boom, You know, it gets real kind of uh, kind of dark right there. I love Ozzy's yep. melody in this one when he does the second, killing yourself to live, when he goes up yeah. really high I like that, a really great uh, vocal performance here. And a nice gear change, like the chorus, usually for a lot of bands, the chorus, sort of lifts up here it's sort of the reverse the chorus yeah. sort of drops yeah. down and gets really heavy and the verse is more sort of uh sort of uplifting and a major yeah. key sounding this is one of those songs that was definitely right when i
1: got the album it was one of the ones i gravitated to the most because i love the guitar tone i love the riff and the guitar tone real heavy guitar tone uh cool riff just that like low rumble riff that that you know, caught my attention, and it's still probably one of my favorite songs. I, mean, I like the whole album. It's pointless for me to say well, this is my favorite song. From Sabbath. <laughs> I mean, they all. I, mean, I have two that I'm not as crazy about, but the rest of them, I mean, I, I, I like them all. You know, um, "Killing Yourself to Live" appeals to me from the same place that Sabbath, Lady Sabbath does. It's the riff. You know, it's all about the riff. Um, lyrics are cool. I think it was kind of like there. It had a couple perspectives one was in the internal thing of you know the bands working really hard burning out on the road touring for months on end and then going back in the studio and getting back into the routine and you know where does it all end you know what 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 is it all about we're just killing ourselves to live but it's something that from an outsider's perspective somebody listening to the music can also kind of like you know apply to their day-to-day lives you know you get up you go to work come home go to sleep you get up you go to work you know what are you doing you know you're killing yourself to live so it's a real you know it, it, it's a good lyrical concept that i think you know appeals to to just people in general it's something that i think people can wrap their heads around you know pretty easily without you know there's a lot of music in around this time i'd like to think of this as like the kind of the high point or the the, the peak of uh, progressive rock and things getting you know pseudo psychedelic and a lot of lyrics beginning be, uh, beginning to get sort of you know artistic this is something that brings it down to earth and i think it's something that you know people can pretty much really internalize so that's that's one thing that's pretty cool about black sabbath it always even if they kind of got off on you know doing something a little fancy you could always count on them to, to come back to Square one and, and be grounded in reality in their uh, their fan base.
0: Yeah, Geezer was very good at singing songs about sort of the common the common man and sort of philosophizing on on the uh, you know the plight of the the common man. You know, wicked world. Uh, this this song. So yeah, another great uh, another great lyric from Geezer. All right, who are you? I talked about this one earlier about how much I love the synthesizer. The creepiness of this synthesizer. I love Ozzy's melody in this and this has got to be the other one with, with uh, Rick Wakeman on it because that whole sort of orchestrated middle section Yeah, you know I can see Ozzy playing this little intro synthesizer riff because it's kind of a one finger thing but that whole thing in the middle with the piano and the layered synths and everything I, I highly doubt that Ozzy pulled that off or that any of the other guys mm-hmm. did that uh-huh. sound that's almost classical in nature and to yeah. me just I always just assumed it was that it was Rick Wakeman. It was well, there uh, is a, the, uh, Will Malone does get credit. I'm not sure. He gets credit, I believe, for the arrangements of the strings. I think yeah. on Spiral Architect because okay. they because they do talk about. I guess we'll we'll talk about it when we get to Spiral Architect. But I'm pretty sure that he's the person who who gets credited for the uh, string arrangements on that. When I heard that that Rick Wakeman, when it was it was
1: referenced that. He was definitely credited on Kadabra. I forget how it was how it was put like he was it, it, it was it was firm credit on that but it was sort of ambiguous as far as his involvement in some of the other songs so i I think it's probably a safe bet that you know they, they turned him loose on a couple other things and 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 while he was in the studio, you know, well, I guess depending on what songs were completed and what songs were in what stage of completion, but he cut just could have easily gone back and said, Okay, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna add this here and that'll really lift that up. So I I think if I had a hazard a guess, that's that's probably what happened. Because who are you? Ozzy's song, him messing around like like on that mini move that he bought and uh I read Martin Popoff's book, How Black Is Your Sabbath, I think it's called. Martin talks about, and he's got a quote from Bill Ward talking about this song where Bill said, Ozzy came into my house at like four in the morning or something. I was asleep, crashed in said, hey, and he's like, Ozzy never entered, that he wasn't loud. So, so I was half asleep and I went back to bed and me and the missus went back to bed and I can hear Ozzy in the next room uh, playing this out. And he said, before I, before I fell back to sleep, I... I heard his his vocal line and i thought my god that's a great song
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> i don't necessarily share but uh, you know maybe in that mindset that bill was in at the time i mean i i guess it is a pretty cool cool line and it is a good melody uh the song itself is one of my least favorite from the albums um it is kind of creepy uh, you know I'll definitely agree with that. Um, but as far as like, uh, I don't, I don't often or ever don't think I've ever dropped a needle on who are you because I had an urge to listen to that song. <laughs> kind of carries Side two of the album to the end. And, uh,
0: I'll tell you something yeah. funny when I saw, uh, probably the last time I saw Black block Sabbath live when they came through Tampa, probably six or seven years ago, this would have been for the 13 tour. And, uh, they had opening up for them uh, andrew w what's his, what's his name okay. andrew wk, andrew WK yeah. <laughs> yeah but he but 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 he it wasn't in a band he was djing okay. there was no opening band he was djing
1: yeah
0: and and like halfway through his dj set he says i'm going to play a song by black sabbath and and i talked to the band to make sure that that they weren't playing this song tonight and he played, Who Are You? (laughs) And I thought to myself, like, yeah, I don't think there was any chance that they were gonna play that song uh, live there, buddy. But a quick scan here of Wikipedia does say uh, Rick Wakeman just credits him for track number four, which is Sabra Cadabra. And it's got IOMI on piano for Who Are You? And it's got Geezer on Mellotron. So Mellotron was the thing that they also used in mm-hmm. uh, changes, that sort of string sound. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe maybe it that was just the, the guys in the band pulled that yeah. off, So, which which is pretty cool, I guess. Credit. It could be, yeah. Um, credit to them for, for pulling that off, that sort of orchestrated sounding section.
1: Yeah, I, I think that the, the Ozzy or uh, Tony's first, experience with the piano was via uh the hotel when they were recording uh the dupont yeah changes and he kind of said he was up all night and taught himself piano because he was (laughs) (laughs) well you know so uh to go from that and 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 you know i mean the the piano part that piano line changes is, is pretty rudimentary i mean you can you can see that that you know, it's, it's a great song, but it, it's a little bit entry level. So go from that, uh, one year later into what's happening on, um, who are you? Eh, maybe a stretch, but who knows? Could be.
0: Maybe. All right. Then looking for today, this is a, kind of an upbeat, upbeat one, uh, got a cool I always love the outro on this when Ozzy's repeating that looking for today you know the way he sort of sings that that last part of the the word there the way the note goes up and everything uh so I
1: I love this song this is probably my favorite it's definitely my favorite song on this album and in some days it, it might even be my favorite Black Sabbath song in general I I love I love the vibe of it It, it, it's it's kind of a happy song but it's also sort of introspective I think it lyrically it 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 pulls together a lot of things um some are characteristically Sabbath and some are uncharacteristically positive um but I, I love the chorus everyone just gets on top of you the pain begins to eat your pride and then it has that uh I guess it's a flute right after that I I just love that. I can listen to that on an endless loop over and over and over again. Probably never get tired of it. Um, This is a great song. I love the lyrics. Um, Yeah. Um, This is where I think side two for me dominates side one because between Looking for Today and Spiral Architect, great stuff. Um, Definitely the most ambitious stuff Sabbath's ever done, but the way that it just, um, it comes across, in spite of the, the ambitiousness, it comes across really sincere. And uh, I appreciate that. And uh, I, I've internalized those those two songs over the years, since I guess I got this album when I was like 12. So, you know, and I'm 30 now. So, I mean, it's been a long time.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, no. I love the line. And I love the line, uh, when was the last time that you cried? Yeah. I love yeah. that line in that song, that's <laughs> just great.
1: It it carries a sincerity that I I think is is really cool. And and I think at the end of the day, you know, metal bands like the posture and it likes to be macho and manly and stuff. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, I think that everybody can relate to an emotional song because, you know, at one point or another in our lives, we've all had emotional things happen. And it's good to have music like this that can be a comfort when you're going through times like that um you know sometimes it's good to have that you know that masculine real aggressive music to kind of bolster you but other times it's good to have a shoulder to cry on these songs are that and a lot of the songs in fact the overall vibe of the album i think is a really good shoulder to cry on but also you know there is that uplifting element to it that i think is not only a shoulder to cry on but a pat on the back or a pat on the head that tells you everything's going to be okay and that's such an unusual dynamic from a band like black sabbaths especially considering the previous material but that is my takeaway from this album and that's to me what makes this album so special is that that aspect to it
0: yeah yeah absolutely i, t- I totally agree all right, then the album ends with Spiral Architect. I talked about this one a little earlier. I loved the sort of classical acoustic guitar intro for this. Reminded me at the time of uh, the song Diary of a Madman. And I love the verse in this. I love Ozzy's melody. I think Geezer's lyrics, him this playing with symbolism and, and stuff like that, I think it's just great. Uh, yeah, it's just great. I love the way that the the feel sort of changes when it leads into the verse. I love that that major key chord progression. Uh, uh, just the whole thing is awesome. I love the strings in it. It builds really nicely. I like the sort of false ending there where it stops and then it kind yeah. of come, comes back in with the canned uh, crowd clapping and everything. Yeah, and that's was, what we're like sounds about like playing in a theater or something you know a real so you can just sort of picture like a big red curtain sort of closing and then the band taking a bow and all that that kind of stuff so it's just it's an awesome way to uh to end the record and you had mentioned earlier the uh what was it will What was the name we had mentioned for the? Will Malone. Will Malone, yeah. He was in charge of the arrangements of the strings. And the string players are listed as the Phantom Fiddlers. (laughs) And the story goes that the band, uh, you know, Ozzy wanted these strings on it. Of course, nobody knows how to write out music. So these string players were there and Ozzy and the band were just sort of, singing lines to them and stuff like that. And then I guess this arranger sort of wrote all of this down for the string players and they just sort of went, went for it. And, uh, for me, it works. It's a great, yeah,
1: uh, for me too.
0: great thing. And something that they, they brought back a few times in their, in their live set, even later on in the reunion years, they, they played mm-hmm. this kind of early on during the reunion. And, uh, it's just yeah. for me, those verses, uh, you know, spiral sitting architect, you know, just great, man. I just love the lyrics and the melody. So
1: mm-hmm. great lyrics. Yeah, it's a great song. And you're right. They did bring it back and it's kind of, it was sort of, well, it, that 96 reunion album. I mean, all the usual suspects are there, you know, and of course you've got, you can't do a Sabbath live album without Paranoid, Iron Man, Children of the Grave, but um, it was cool. I mean, I, I was surprised to see Spiral Architect and it's done well, sounds good. You know, you couldn't ask for anything more than that. It represents the song as it appears on on the album pretty well. You know, however many years later, 25 years later, something like that. Twenty years, twenty three. Anyway. Yeah, um, it's cool that they did revisit that It one that I would be least likely to suspect. But uh, to their credit, yeah, had had the, uh, the audacity to to perform that live <laughs> and, and do it well.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. Any final thoughts on Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath? Wow. Um, You know, there's so many more
1: things to talk about with this album. We could probably be here for at least another hour, possibly two. Um, But I I think we hit on all the on the major points. It's a really it's a really special album. And I think as we move along from album to album, I think this is pretty much the high point. This is the high watermark. <clears throat> I think that's the one takeaway from, from these podcasts. And as we're talking, you know, from the first album, and we're going through the, the origins and and the recording and the inspiration and everything else that we like to incorporate when we're talking about these albums. Um, there's so much more of this album that we could talk about. Um, but I think where we are is, is a good place to stop. Um, and just the takeaway is that it, it, it's, it's definitely the, uh, the most ambitious. It's the high watermark. I don't think that anything that happens after this, although I, I personally love technical, technical ecstasy, I don't think it comes close to this as far as the level of success and the influences and everything just firing the way that it should with a band that's you know clearly inspired. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, probably the uh, most important Black Sabbath album in the career
0: yeah i would agree with all that this is black sabbath at the peak of their powers and it's an album that holds as you've the listener has heard from from both of us and and for me it holds a special place in my heart so lots of fond memories this one an album like you mentioned earlier that i can always come back to and kind of kind of find something uh, hidden inside there that maybe i didn't notice before so just just a great album all right well we'd like to thank everybody for uh joining us here today for this discussion on black sabbath's sabbath bloody sabbath album uh, make sure you head on over to our facebook page and uh, thank you all for listening and we will see you really soon with sabotage right. thanks everybody